Welcome to episode 28 of Communicast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond, a global communication skills training organization. In this episode, I'm talking with Stefan Wiedner. Stefan is co-founder and CEO of multiple companies focused on talent development, psychological safety-based coaching, and online skills practice. Check out the episode to understand what may be crushing our curiosity, why psychological safety is so important in the workplace, and to learn how to put empathy into practice. I hope you enjoy. Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. Scott, thank you for having me. Before we get started, maybe just to kick us off a little bit, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, career journey, and really what it is that you're working on today? Yeah, Scott. So I started my career, obviously, in university, like so many people, and I was taking a business course. I got a business degree. And within business, you're exposed to a lot of different courses, you know, finance and marketing and et cetera, et cetera. And the area that really compelled me and was most interesting and exciting was organizational behavior. And so I was always really keen on psychology, business, and then later um, technology. And in fact, I specialized, I did a specialization within uh, business and commerce around IT systems. And so I was really keen on the combination of all three of those things. So uh, my entire career, I've really been focused on psychology, business, and technology and and finding the intersection between all three of those things to help organizations, leaders, teams be more successful. That's definitely an interesting combination as you take the three of those together, the the business, psychology, and technology. I would imagine where they intersect, some pretty interesting things happen, especially with really helping organizations perform at their best point possible. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the thing we're working on right now, so we have a couple different companies because of <laughs> these varied interests. And one of them is a software company specifically around training interpersonal skills for leaders and managers or team members within an organization. So uh, it gives them, think of it as a flight simulator for interpersonal skills. Interesting. And I believe a lot of the work that you do around those interpersonal skills is really helping to bring about or create an environment with psychological safety. And, you know, I would think a big part of that is tied into effective communication skills, being a strong communicator. So from, from your standpoint, when you hear this term communication skills or that somebody is a really strong communicator, what does it mean to you, especially through this lens of perhaps creating psychological safety? Yeah, you're right. So we are focusing on psychological safety, which all we describe as the courage to speak up and the confidence to know you'll be heard. So that's the working definition we use. It's not the definition used in academia, but I think it's close enough. So it's the courage to speak up and the confidence to know you'll be heard. So we're always asking, what are the interpersonal skills that are required in order to create an environment where everyone on your team feels like they have the courage to speak up and the confidence to know they'll be heard? And so those skills are often all about listening and showing curiosity 
and th those sorts of things. Whereas I think a lot of people might think of communication skills as one way communication, as in it's what is in my head needing to <laughs> convey that to other people, right? Convey that to you and others. They think of communication in that way. And we see it as, as much more a two way street. And we cannot forget about receiving information and more specifically it's about expressing understanding so it's not that I necessarily agree with you but I can demonstrate to you that I understand what you're saying I understand the emotions perhaps with which that you're communicating to me I get that you're frustrated for example or I get that you're really excited about this new project those are uh, some of the communication skills that we're working on I think that's one of the big areas that a lot of people struggle with is being able to demonstrate understanding even when you don't agree with what you're hearing. Because oftentimes when you don't agree, things can become pretty contentious and combative or argumentative. And I think that really puts people in a position where they don't feel comfortable sharing their thoughts, sharing their ideas. So this idea of somebody being a strong communicator, it's not only that person that can get the information out there from you know, my head into to your ears or your head, but really that they understand, they're listening, and they can demonstrate the understanding even in that environment where they may not be agreeing with them. That to kind of capture what, what you're saying there around what it means to be a strong communicator? Exactly. And I think often we'll use phrases such as, I get it, I get it, I understand what you're saying. That is not enough. It's not enough to just say, I get it. You need to paraphrase or repeat back to people what they're saying so that they now know that you get it because it's not always enough to say, I get it. And often you say, I get it to placate the other person. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Shut up. Stop talking. I don't want to hear you anymore is, is the, is the, you know, if you could read between the lines, that's what you're thinking. Right. Yeah. And, and the other person will receive that. They'll get that even though you might not be saying it. The tone with which you say it, maybe the, the speed at which, which you say that those words will signal to that other person, oh, they don't want to hear what I have to say. I have a 10-year-old a and a 13-year-old. I'm going to have to consciously say, okay, take that. I get it out of my vocabulary because I know I've used that with them before when they're just coming at me with so many different things. They want this. They need this. They got to do this. They want to go here. I'm like, I get it, dude. Just give me a second, you know, oftentimes it's right as I open my office door and, and walk out, I'm getting hit with that. So saying I get it, not enough, really making sure that you're, you know, parroting back, paraphrasing so that that person feels listened to, they feel heard, they feel understood. I think that's a huge part of communication is being able to practice those skills to not only really listen, but hear what that other person is saying, which kind of ties into the next thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, we've hit on a few things with, you know, listening, curiosity, but what are some of the skills or maybe dive deeper if you could into those skills a little bit that really are important in the business place today or in the workplace today? What are the communication skills that people really are trying to develop or that you're seeing lacking and are really trying to help people with? Yeah, so we've seen it. You see the news articles now where it talks about companies focusing more on hiring people with good listening skills or more curiosity, that kind of thing. Like these are quote unquote soft skills. And so what we're trying to do, and we've been asking the same question, what soft skills matter? Which ones produce better results for organizations, for teams, for leaders? 
And, and we've looked at the academic research in the field of counseling. And why counseling? It seems like, what does counseling have to do with business? Well, the parallel is that in counseling, your job as a counselor is to facilitate better outcomes for your, the individuals that you're working with. Well, as a leader, what's your job? Your job is to facilitate better outcomes with the people in the room, whoever those people are. And so what skills are required? In, in counseling, they've been able, one uh, researcher by the name of Timothy Anderson out of Ohio University, he, he came up with a hypothesis for soft skills that he could assess and measure with a, a performance-based task. So he had individuals look at stimulus videos of challenging moments inside counseling and record a response. So he just said, what would you say? What's your natural uh, inclination for how you might respond to this type of individual in this moment? And then he codified the responses according to eight, sub, uh, eight dimensions of communication. And he calls that grouping of communication facilitative interpersonal skills. What it is in summary is it's basically the amount of empathy that a person has for another person and being able to demonstrate that empathy, even when the other person is particularly challenging. Uh, and also it's the ability to, when there's some sort of rupture between the, the relationship between you and the individual to be able to approach it very skillfully, as opposed to avoiding it or pretending like it didn't happen. So if we take that parallel to business, we think the same skills are relevant. So within a business setting, it's number one, how well are you attuned to all of the people in the room and their differences? And not just how well are you attuned to person A, B, C, and D, but how well are you attuned to the relationship between person A and C or A and D, right? Like, are you noticing the dynamics within the team? So you have to be attuned to that. And many managers are. And then the second is, if there are some forms of conflict or any sort of issues that might cause relationships to uh, be hindered, you can approach it very skillfully and say, hey, what's going on here? And, and generate open discussion about those issues so that they don't, they're not like issues that just get swept under the rug and they're there, everybody knows about them and no one does anything about it, but instead you deal with it head on in a skillful manner. Those are the skills that we can assess and measure. And I think being able to assess and measure those skills really is a critical component of all of this, because as you mentioned, there's so many job postings out there. There's so many people that are talking about, we need folks with strong communication skills. We need people that are good listeners, but they can't quite pinpoint exactly what that means or what the outcomes are when those skills happen. So being able to do that, I think is, is fascinating. And you mentioned something that I've never really thought about it this way before, but oftentimes as a people leader, you almost kind of are like a counselor, right? You're, you're, it becomes not about me. It's about the person that I'm working with and really helping them to work through whatever challenges or problems that they're facing, do, working through coaching, communicating with them to help them grow and really be their their best self in that particular role. So that's a, that's a great way to look at you know, are you a leader and what type of role are you taking and how you're communicating with those folks is definitely going to have an impact. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we have a long, uh, I've worked in the world of coaching for many years. And so there's definitely a parallel between coaching and counseling. That's why we got into that research in the first place, because we were looking at the efficacy of coaching. Why is coaching effective? Why does it work? Does it really work? How much does it work? These were the questions we were asking being in that industry. And so the closest thing we could look at was counseling because there's a far more, uh, there's a bigger body of research in that field than there is in coaching. But I think if we were to take those same, assess those same skills in counseling and in coaching, we'd probably see a big parallel. And there's a lot of community, there's a lot of um, advocacy for that in the business world, right? You as a leader, you need to be a coach in, in a way, right? Mm. You're coaching your people, you're not telling them what to do, but instead you're asking them questions, you get curious with them. It's all about their growth and their development, uh, as opposed to you being a micromanager. Yes, the the dreaded micromanager, uh, and it's and I'm sure there's some great research out there around the differences between you know micromanagers and managers who really empower their people, serve as a coach to them, you know really work with them to help figure things out together versus simply dictating or just doing. And I've seen this a lot throughout my career where there will be you know, solid performing teams. But if you look behind the curtain a little bit, it really is the leader that's just doing everything for the team. And typically those results are short-lived because the team gets frustrated. The leader just gets burnt out from doing everything. Or when that leader moves on, those people on the team really didn't have the skills to accomplish the job. It was just someone really dictating on that micro level as to what to do day in and day out. So I think taking that coaching approach really does make a big difference. Stefan, as you think through your career journey, you're getting to where you are today with the, the organizations that you're leading, if you had to pinpoint it down to one or maybe say two communication skills that really helped you to get here, what would those be? I would say number one, empathy. So being able to put myself in other people's shoes and really listen to what's going on for them and be able to reflect that back to them as we've talked about. So I'd say that's the first one. And the second one, um, I would say it's, uh, it's not a skill, but it is definitely connected to a skill, which is bringing curiosity. So I, I think I'm innately curious about people, about technology, about psychology, right? And so it causes me to be in this place of asking a lot of open-ended questions and just being really curious with people before, uh, you know, placing judgment. And I think that's a great, great leadership skill is to possess curiosity. I agree that curiosity for me is a, a really important skill when it comes to leadership. Because when you have that natural curiosity, typically you want to help people. You're, you're curious because you want to figure out how things work, how things can improve, and it leads to, as you mentioned, lots of really good questions. And in a prior role, we we sold a training and had a training that the company developed around this idea that creativity and innovation really is a skill that can be taught. And you know, curiosity ties very strongly in there. And if you think of why kids are so creative and they're always coming up with all these new things and building things and inventing things and you know, creating entire worlds in their mind is because they're really practicing these skills that are tied towards curiosity and innovation. They question. They, you know, if you have younger kids, anyone listening, you get that question, why? 
a thousand times. It's because they want to know how things work. They observe. They, they watch how things are happening. They're looking at you. They're looking at how things are coming together. Uh, they talk to each other a lot. Maybe not now as much with all the technology, but they talk and they interact. Um, and then they start to associate all these things together, which leads to that creative thinking or the innovation. So yeah, definitely skills that can be taught. Curiosity absolutely ties in there and, and empathy. I hear you know, this a lot comes up on, on all the episodes, people talking about empathy. And I'm really excited that this is coming to the forefront of the workplace because I think it was something that was neglected for so long. And you know, it maybe was there, but it was... I would probably say in some companies, some industries frowned upon. Now it's becoming something front and center where some of the leaders of the biggest organizations really are leading with empathy. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about from your perspective, you know, when you talk about bringing empathy to the table, what, what does that mean or how do you put that into practice? You know, before I answer that question, because mm -hmm. it, it is a good question. I want to talk about empathy for sure. I want to go back to what you were saying about the kids and their mm -hmm. curiosity. What is it? do you think that stops us from being curious like the kids and asking those questions? Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you think it is? I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think partially the, the school systems that they get into are very structured, regimented. The teachers are overwhelmed. They're very busy and they don't ha always have the time or the resources, I think to really foster and encourage that questioning and creativity because they realize at the end of the year, we have this test. I have to meet all these standards, I have these, all those types of things. And I think some of it does fall back to the parents as well. You know, parents get busy, they get overwhelmed, they get frustrated when the kid is asked why 20 times. And for me, that's been one of the things I've really tried hard is that when the kid is asking why or wanting to know how things work to, to consciously take the time and talk with them and answer those questions and not shut it down. So it's really the combination of those two things that I think that stifles it. What about you? Yeah, you're you're probably a, a good systems thinker, a systemic thinker. <laughs> That's a because you're pointing to kind of a system, right? Mm -hmm. Like the educational system mm -hmm. is perhaps stifling some of the education. I great, certainly a great theory, and uh, there's probably some truth to that. What I was thinking was, uh, I think there's less inhibitions for the little kids. Like when they're little, they're not mm -hmm. thinking about what's the impact of this question. When you're 40 years old and you're sitting in a boardroom and you say, why'd you do that? Why'd you do this? Why do we do this? <laughs> right? What, it, how might you be perceived? You might be perceived as ignorant. You might be mm -hmm. perceived as just someone who is, uh, you know, difficult to get along with. The point is, as we get older, I think, the a main aspect to uh, people no longer asking questions or, or being afraid to ask questions is that interpersonal risk taking. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the root cause for why psychological safety exists. Like why is psychological safety a thing? It's because we as social beings are constantly trying to make sure that our perception of ourselves is high, right? Like we want to make mm -hmm. sure that the people around us think, Hey, this person's, smart, well-educated, you know, et cetera. And by asking questions, we can sometimes affect that perception of us. So uh, just pretty fascinating yeah. that we're making that connection. So um, let's call it, let's come back to empathy. You asked about mm -hmm. empathy. 
And can you ask the question again? What specifically about empathy do you yeah, want to Yeah, so, so empathy definitely comes up a lot in my conversations. And I, I'm excited that it is that more people are really trying to bring that into the workplace. So from a practical or a practice standpoint, how are you putting empathy into action in, in your conversations, in your meetings with your teams, things like that? So we talked a lot about uh, reflecting, uh, you know, what someone is saying. So we look at three things. There's reflecting content, reflecting um, feeling, and reflecting meaning. So what does it mean to reflect back? It's not that I get it, I get it, right? You, it's to say, okay, I get it. I understand that, and then fill in the blank. And the blank is um, what the other person is saying. So, uh, and, and, and to do that well, you're not just parroting back what they're saying, but you're paraphrasing and mm-hmm. also adding just a little bit. So for example, if someone's coming to you because they're stressed about uh, some of the back chatting that might be happening within their team and they're asking you for help and they're really um, frustrated, then to be able to say, okay, so I understand there's some back chatting happening in your team and it seems that you're you're fairly uh, stressed about this. Is that right? Like. And, and just being able to name it and label it. So right there, I said, you, it sounds like you're stressed about it. That mm-hmm. might cause them to, a little light might shine for them and say, oh yeah, you're right. I am feeling stressed. I hadn't mm-hmm. noticed my emotional state. Like I hadn't even right. noticed. So by reflecting back, you're actually adding something for them. And there's, there's uh, some recent research that we've been looking at within the, again, within the field of counseling and where what they did is they, they recorded a session. Then they had the, the client look at the session and mark off the points that were most valuable to them. And often we think, oh, well, an open-ended question is going to be a real life-changing moment for the, for the other person. Same thing in business. We might think open-ended questions are a great way to express curiosity and get other people to think what, what they deem to be the most valuable is, is the reflection. It was when the, the client or the rather the counselor said, oh, I'm noticing that I'm seeing this in you or I'm noticing that you're struggling with that and they're reflecting it back to them. So um, that is a great way of expressing empathy mm-hmm. because you're, you're legitimately saying, here's what I'm seeing you doing and feeling and I'm saying it and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So it's always appropriate in, in when expressing empathy to say, did I get that right? Or, or am, am I, you know, I, I think I'm right, but I'm not sure because it gives the other person the opportunity to say, nah, you know, it's not really stress. It's actually a little bit more like I'm kind of fearful of uh, losing that contract. And, you know, they might use slightly different words and they might correct you. I love that. That is a fantastic example. So I understand that dot, 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 right? You're, you're, this is what's going on. This is what may be happening. And it's, you know, maybe you're feeling stressed, anxious, whatever. Did I get that right? Or is that, does that sound right? So those two components are, you have to have them together. I understand that kind of paraphrasing back what you heard, adding a little bit to it, and then giving them that opportunity to correct you is really what's going to demonstrate the empathy, and then I think create the psychological safety so that they feel that they've been heard and that they can then speak up, right, and share that, no, that's not right. So that is spot on. Excellent way, excellent tip for those of you listening out. If you're trying to practice those skills but really couldn't you know, pinpoint how to do it, 
Uh, if you have to go back, re-listen to that the last couple of minutes. Excellent tip. Thank you for that, Stefan. Yeah, you're welcome. And there's a one tiny little bit more that I'd like to add, Scott, because of Absolutely. course we focus, uh, we focus on this sort of stuff. And, and you, you reflected back the structure perfectly. The next, like to turn it up from like an eight to a 10, <laughs> you know, to go from a A minus to an A plus mm. is you're, you're mindful of your tone and how, how empathic your voice sounds. So it's not just the structure of, okay, you're saying this and uh, you're demonstrating understanding and then you're checking in at the end. You're doing all of that and your voice is appropriate. So if they're demonstrating a lot of anxiety or stress, then you want to match, you want to have some emotional uh, resonance there, right? Like you don't want to have a big smile on your face when someone's telling you <laughs> terrible news about, right. about, you know, some client they lost or what have you. And that's what leads to authenticity. When there is the match between your tone, inflection, body language, and the words that you're saying really creates the authenticity. So if you're like, all right, Stefan, I get it. There's a lot of people on your team. There's back channeling, back talking going on, and you're, you're feeling stressed, right? You know, to me, that, that a very condescending tone, not a caring tone versus, you know, like you said, really matching to what you're going to say. That's awesome. I understand that, dot, 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 that I get that right. And then creating the connection between your tone, your inflection with really what's going on. Perfect. I love that. Stefan, as you think throughout your career, who has been someone that has really helped influence your communication style, whether it is someone you know personally or have worked with throughout your career, maybe as you've been doing research, just you know, a, a researcher in the field, but who's really someone that's influenced your communication style and what have you taken from them and made your own? Mm. Well, I go back to my very first job out of university. I uh, worked for a small uh, construction management company. So I've had a, a significant shift in my career after uh, a few, it was a, a co-op position actually that I started. And I had the good fortune uh, because the organization was so small, I was really thrown into the deep end relatively quickly. We did uh, scheduling project management for large complex uh, projects. And to give you an example, one of the projects was a brand new hospital that was being built in Nevada. And we were the first persons hired by the owner of the hospital. So they had a project manager manager that was responsible for building this thing. And they brought us on and we ended up hiring the architects, the engineers and doing all the scheduling, et cetera. And so I had a great opportunity with my boss at the time, his name is Ted, um, to be in the boardroom with him. Uh, obviously I could interact with him at work, right? When mm -hmm. in the office, et cetera. And he was, he was, um, he, he carried himself in such a, um, a, like he was really fun to be around. He was just mm -hmm. a fun guy. And then you get into the boardroom and he was really firm. He had this, you know, he could be really fun and flexible, but then he could be really firm and assertive and clear with his communication. And I learned so much in, in that short stint that I worked for that organization. So I uh, attribute a lot of my communication skills to uh, the modeling that I saw there and also written the written communication. Gosh, my writing skills as a university student were, were pretty pitiful. Um, and I accelerated by having to write a lot of letters describing 
technical things within project management. And it allowed me uh, to really improve my writing skills. And I attribute, like, and now I think I'm a fairly good writer and it all stems back to a couple years of really rigorous uh, feedback and training around writing technical engineering related documents. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, we, we definitely hear that a lot from clients with folks coming out of school, struggling with the writing skills and I would say more so transitioning academic writing to corporate writing. Sometimes it's it's too long, too verbose for what needs to happen in the workplace. We, we definitely see a lot of that. And as you mentioned, practice and getting feedback and training is a big part of that. But I like what you mentioned about your colleague, Ted, I believe, is really the range of communication styles. You know, oftentimes with communication, one style fits all isn't great for every single scenario. We just touched on it a little bit. Sometimes you need to change your tone and inflection and body language based on what you're hearing, but also just simply based on the physical environment in which you're in. When you're in a boardroom versus a break room, oftentimes that communication style may need to be tweaked a little bit, still being true to yourself and who you are, but making sure that your style is matching the environment. Stefan, as we wrap up here, what bit of closing advice would you have for somebody, whether they're fresh out of university, maybe they are mid-career looking for a pivot or perhaps going out, starting their own business, you know, what would you like to leave with them around the importance of these interpersonal communication skills and the impact they can really have on their career? Well, I'm obviously biased and I think those interpersonal skills, those communication skills are absolutely critical. And if I could leave anybody with a, uh, a last point, it would be that I would invite everyone to really embrace a growth mindset around their communication skills and explore that range you talked about, right? We don't have to be pigeonholed into one way. And one of the phrases that we say internally with uh, a number of my colleagues is, Rigid, bad, flexible, good. <laughs> so when it comes to communication, <laughs> be flexible and, and um, explore the edges of your communication skills. They can be learned. They can be learned through practice. So when you get into new environments, try different skills that you see other people modeling and just make it a playful experience. <laughs> you're going to fumble. You're going to fall, scrape your knees every now and again but that's how you get better. And in communication skills can indeed get better because there are people, for example, that are deathly terrified to get in front of a group of, of uh, you know, to give a talk, for example, and they learn how to do it. And they learn how to do it very effectively by exposing themselves to those opportunities to learn and practice, fumble, pick themselves up and try it again. Spot on. That is so important to note that when it comes to developing these critical communication skills. And I agree, they're very critical, so important for everyone to develop because they'll impact at home, at work, across all aspects of your life. But just like when you're developing any skill, you're riding a bike, you're learning to golf, cooking, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna fall down, you're gonna get scraped, you're gonna burn your hand on the stove. You're giving a speech, you're gonna fumble over a word. You're gonna you know, perhaps pause or maybe say something incorrectly, lose your place. Those things happen, continue to practice, get feedback, work work towards that ultimate goal, and you will see those improvements and you will get better. So, Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. Really did enjoy the conversation. Hope you have a great rest of your day. 
Scott, it was a pleasure. I loved uh, being with you and you asked some great questions. You clearly are an advanced student in, in this uh, world of communication. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate that. Take care. All right. You too. A special thanks again to my guest, Stefan Wiedner, for sharing his valuable insights around psychological safety and the importance of communication skills. For me, the highlight of this conversation was really drilling down how to put empathy into action as a leader. People often talk about the importance of empathy, but rarely discuss what it looks like in practice. As always, if you haven't done so, please be sure to subscribe to Communicast so that you can be notified of new episodes. Thanks and have a great day.